0: Hello and welcome to the Peach Black Podcast, which is all about the game of entrepreneurship. If the peach represents the highlight reel that we all tell on a daily basis as entrepreneurs, the Instagram to our reality, the black represents the stories and lessons of this game that are usually left in the dark. I am your host, Charlie Regis. I'm the Global Business Development Director of the digital product studio, Style of Tech. And today, we are joined by the best high-growth women founder of 2019, Melinda Nikki. She is the founder and CEO of baby to body which is redefining the wellness experience for over 1.2 million women during pregnancy and into early motherhood. She is the fit tech startup of the year in 2018 and is one of the top 100 most influential women in tech. In this episode, we explore some of the tips for solo female founders in raising money, how to create a powerful community of users, and how to use data to shape the future of your product. I hope you enjoy it. Melinda, Nikki, thank you so much for joining us on the Peach Black Podcast.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited too. I mean, you guys are pretty much the gold standard when it comes to wellness in women. So I'm, I'm really keen to dig into the whole journey of bringing this thing to life. Um, but where I'd love to start is to get a bit of an understanding of your first experiences of thinking like an entrepreneur. I know you come from a very entrepreneurial family and I'd love to get an insight into how that shaped you going forwards.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because um, if you think about my whole family are entrepreneurs, so it must have had um, an influence on myself and my brothers. Um, so my two brothers also all have their own businesses, and Very my cool. dad was an entrepreneur. My late mom was as well. Yeah, so I think I think those kind of formative years of understanding, you know, kind of how to be creative, how to be resilient, how to find something out of nothing, and and create something to fulfill a need. So when you see a problem to, to kind of think about how you can actually solve that problem um, for other people. And I think also growing up in South Africa in the time that I did, it was just a very entrepreneurial kind of um, open space that, you know, any, anything was possible. And because uh, it was the apartheid years, the you know, the rest of the world was kind of shutting down to us and not allowing us um, exports and things like that. Um, So it's the imports into South Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happened was that people had to like double down and figure out stuff for themselves and create, you know, more homegrown products and services and um, kind of solutions to the problems that we were having in South Africa. So I think that was, I think the the drive Um, and then just seeing my, my parents um, creating their businesses. So my late mom is a florist and my dad is um, in the music industry it's a very creative environment as well. Yeah, yeah. a little bit crazy. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Now, I I think I've grown up with a, an entrepreneur as a mum as well. And it's the first I've actually talked about this on the podcast. And. Um, it's, it's a very interesting environment where you see what it feels like to have the chips on the table, you know, um, and for entrepreneurs growing up around, you know, that risk reward dynamic of the highs and the lows, I think it, it encourages people to be drawn to that lifestyle, not just sort of the success and the lows, but just the, the real love of what you're doing, you know, having that, that passion to wake up and and go for your dream. I think once you get a taste of that, it's infectious. Did you have a similar experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just seeing how my dad, you know, went through um, his life and bringing out new records and music and some of them were amazing and did really well and others bombed completely Mm. and just dealing with the ups and downs of, of that whole process, I think was, was really incredible. And I think those were amazing lessons If you think about like all the stuff we have to deal with, which is, you know, most things go wrong. (laughs) and you try things and most things don't work and it's just not losing heart Mm. and um and kind of focusing on on the things you can change um so you can't change market conditions you can't change you know what's happening in the world but you can actually change the way that you react to it and how you adapt to what you're doing so thinking about sort of you know, the stuff that happens is like the weather and you can't change it. So you just deal with it. And if there's a storm coming up, you've got to navigate the storm. Um, So I think that that's always been um, a really kind of key part of my approach to the entrepreneurial life, let's say, which is with its ups and downs.
0: Yeah. I mean, those lessons have never been more applicable than today, right? I think everybody's having to make major adjustments very quickly and just test things, you know, try stuff. Um, people are trying new forms of content, you know, LinkedIn is starting to explode with people creating content. And I think, you know, that testing environment is something that is, is seeing a lot of success for a lot of people. And I think by understanding a little bit about your journey, this is something that has continued with you throughout your journey. I want to understand how this sort of idea of testing and trying things out was influential in the birth of baby to body and the movement that you've created.
1: Yeah, that's a very key part of what we've done and how we've done it. So when I kind of launched baby to body as a digital platform in 2015, um, seed funding um, at that point in time was, you know, like 50K, 100K, if you were lucky. <laughs> so we really didn't have that much money to play around with. So we had to kind of figure out what we're going to bring to market and what was the first question that we wanted answered. So mm-hmm. the hypothesis was that Women would be interested in daily advice about wellness during their pregnancy. That was the first hypothesis. So, in order to test that hypothesis, then we brought out something to say, okay, can, is this actually going to happen? Are they going to, you know, do something and take some action um, to show us that they're interested? So, what is that action? The action is potentially opening an email or signing up for a service. So initially, we, we basically created an ad on, um, on Facebook that said pregnant, question mark. That was it, it was bright Interesting. pink.
0: Interesting.
1: And now you can't say pregnant in an ad. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Okay, well, you okay. Well, can't, you
1: can't answer, you can't ask that question outright because you could be kind of offending some people. So okay. this in twenty fifteen, you could do that. So we did that, and then we had a sign up page that you know people would click through and signed up for a non-existent emails that we didn't actually have yet. <laughs> so yeah. we launched this page thinking, oh, you know, let's see how much it costs to get these people and how interested they are, and are they going to actually give us their email address and actually sign up for something? Mm-hmm. And then we decide, oh gosh, no, before you know, in two weeks we had 500 people and we were like, well, we wow. better build something. Yeah. yeah. So we were kind of building it on the fly and then we, um, so they were signing up for an email subscription and uh, we didn't have it. So I spent the whole of Christmas new year, the whole Christmas break writing content for this non-existent email service mm-hmm. that we were actually just going to build. And um, by kind of the 20th of January, we had something that went live. And what we did was we started with them um, because I couldn't do the whole of pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> I had nothing. Yeah. It was all in my head anyway. It was just me. Yeah. Um, and um and then we we so we we chose like the second trimester when people are potentially more engaged, but on the back end, we would okay. only obviously send something to the people who signed up in the second trimester, so we were able to kind of isolate them and then just do say that you know that twelve week period at a time, and then what happened was we were then chase so we were then being chased by our users, so we were doing two weeks at a time of content Mm -hmm. and then you know they would catch up and then we'd let new people into the flow so it was really interesting and um quite scary because we were on the clock we're having to write the content get it out put it on the back end get it sent out
0: it's (laughs) it's a huge phase of validation for the purpose that you're that you're really shooting for you know i think the best platforms in the world solve a problem that people feel at an emotional level, right? And pregnancy is one that is is just riddled with emotions of all, all over the show, right? So the fact that you're able to provide guidance in that pocket of time when people are valuing it so much is really interesting. What I want to get a feel for is you've mentioned that the second trimester was the real prime persona that you chose to, to target initially was the, the MVP, the first version of the digital platform that you built, was that targeting them as well? Or or what did that MVP look like?
1: Um, the MVP of um, of the app. Yeah, of we the built app. That. yeah, No, by the time we built the app, so we only built the app in 2018. Okay. So we had quite a number of years that we had this email subscription, but okay, what we okay. were able to learn from the email subscription is what people were interested in, what uh, subject lines worked, what, uh, when we could um, get them, where we could get them. So our customer acquisition channels and things like that. Then we identified exactly how much it costs to get these women, when they're most uh, likely to sign up as well. And then when we brought our, our first app out, which was actually at the end of 2017, it was pretty awful. Um they yeah, always the are great <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we had an initial initial traction and kept you know breaking, obviously, and uh, yeah. kept having to redo it and then twenty eighteen is when we launched the 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 one kind of what you see now, I mean, obviously it's, it's had a lot of inter iterations, but that was when we also launched the premium product.
0: So nice. that was
1: really important because ultimately you want people to pay for something mm-hmm. if you don't have anything for them to pay for. You can't really test yeah. exactly what the engagement is and what the LTV is and and your your actual proper CAC. Mm-hmm. So you know you you can say it costs you know a pound to get a sign up. Well, that's great if it's free. Sure. Uh, but what does that actually mean for a paid product? It's very very different. So it was really like it was a whole new learning experience then of the app mm-hmm. and you know how many people download and then what the funnel looked like and how many people would take the trial. So, yeah, yeah, all really interesting learnings.
0: What were, what were the biggest learnings for you? Because so many startups go through this where they're trying to make the shift from free content to paid content in whichever way they're, they're delivering that content. What was the biggest learning curve for you in trying to create an effective conversion from free to paid?
1: I think the key for us was understanding um, A, the onboarding process and B, what people were willing to pay for. Mm. And then the third thing is obviously how much. How much yeah. they're willing to pay. Um, so we we started off um, like quite low cost. I think it was about seven, six or seven dollars was the mm-hmm. first one for, per month. And um, interestingly, as we've increased our prices, our conversion rate rates have gone up. Interesting. So yeah. So you'd think like it would be the opposite, and then, mm-hmm. in fact, one time we um, we decided we were going to make the app completely free and then try and upsell people later down the line. So at the moment, at the time, there was a um, sign up for free, do a trial, and then, you know, but mm-hmm. in order to do the trial, you have to put your your Apple ID and et cetera, and you almost, you know, you put your credit card details in. Um, but it was an absolute dismal failure when people didn't put their credit card details in. Yeah. So they weren't as committed. And we've also identified the times that they're most likely to convert into paying. And what makes them more likely to convert? So, it's not it's it's has something to do with like um, the time in their pregnancy. So, like if it's too early, they're not sure if the pregnancy is actually going to hold. Yeah. And um, if it's too late, they think, oh well, it's only a few more months, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But that also drove us to kind of understand our users much more and see, well, actually, there's women post-pregnancy who just you need just as much as what we have. So we yeah. extended. The, the platform last year and we put in new mother content so we have now content for a woman when she gives birth and you know right through pregnancy and then for three years afterwards it's quite a long time and um, so the idea is to keep them that whole kind of you know three years and nine months but let's see how that works
0: absolutely and i think one of my favorite things about your platform is it does feel like a home you know you offer so many different elements of value that if somebody buys into the platform and everything that it can provide it, it's so sticky you know they're going to be involved on a daily basis if not multiple times a day um, and I think that's one of the most powerful things when it comes to creating a community now a community is something you've done very well in creating um, I want to get a feel for how you've gone about executing in the early days creating this sense of community amongst your users
1: Well, I think there's a lot of different touch points when you talk about community. So, um, you know, what is it that people need from a community? Do they need a sense of belonging? Do they need to um, talk to other people? Do they need advice or do they just feel that they need to be part of something bigger than themselves? Um, And when you, um, when you become pregnant, that's kind of what happens. You join this new club that you weren't a member of before. And so what we've tried to do is create this sort of baby to body kind of persona and the 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 values that our brand has and kind of instill that right throughout the product and i think people feel that they're a baby to body user Mm -hmm. um you know when they start using the product even if they don't actually talk to another person but we've instilled that kind of sense of identity and belonging by you know by calling it the bigger community and also you know Nowadays with um, with social media, it's actually like a lot easier because you've got a lot more touch points, right? We've got a big Facebook group so people can actually converse with each other and talk yeah. to each other and get advice. I dip in and out and then we've got our Instagram um platform as well. And then, you know, I do Instagram lives a few times a week. So we've got that kind of platform and it's so easy. I mean, I'm literally sitting in my office, I switch on my phone, I do an Instagram live and answer questions. And our users, you know, we have you know, thousands sometimes watching are able to like ask me questions and have that that interaction, which is just incredible. Mm. Um, and we didn't have that in 2015. So like this has all moved on, right? which is great. And then I think it's a sense of being a bigger part of something. We've had 1.5 million women sign up on our platform since we started. Incredible. And knowing that they're part of this massive community of women all over the world who bought into the values of our brand is just amazing. And I think, that kind of feeds on itself and then we've also used brand ambassadors so we've got Mm. a group of women who are brand ambassadors who are volunteers and they you know give us their content they amplify the message and just because they want to be a part of the community and not not for any other monetary gain or anything. So that's also so powerful and so amazing. I still can't believe it when I look at what they do for
0: us. It's, <laughs> I'm so grateful. I, I think that is is one of the, the most important things, especially when it comes to the wellness space. You know, you see the Instagram reality where you have so many fitness and wellness influencers that are endorsing X, Y, and Z. And when people are getting involved with your products for no other monetary gain other than, this is a message i believe in and i want to give women in a similar situation access to the community and the products and everything else i think that really comes across in the message that they're trying to put forward how important has it been for you to have a face to your brand your community you know do you feel like that has had an impact on how long people stay with you throughout their journey
1: i think having um, someone they can relate to or a face is is very it, it's it's a whole lot better than being in a corporate. So if you think about when we first entered the market, a couple of our, you know, the people that had been in the market were owned by Johnson & Johnson and Unilever. So mm-hmm. they were faceless, kind of very kind of generic brands that that didn't really stand for anything and believe in anything. And as soon as, you know, you come in with a personality behind it, I mean, this has been my passion for my entire life and I've literally spent my entire life in women's wellness, it becomes, it takes on a life of its own and it becomes much more of a bigger kind of passion project rather than just a business. Yeah. And I think that's what resonates with our audience. So when they see me, that's what they're seeing. They're seeing my passion, my energy, the fact that I started this with literally a PowerPoint presentation and nothing and an idea right and yeah. have brought this to life and you know obviously you not know, on my own with a huge amount of help from my team and my investors and everybody who's believed in us and our community and all of our users um and and i think that that's the amazing part of being an entrepreneur is that you can actually do it like it's, yeah. it's not something that you can't do you can just do it if you decide that that's what you want to do and then you know the bigger brands, like the Johnson Johnson, you need to leave up something that's that's something they cannot ever do, yeah, so this is where, as an entrepreneur, you've got an edge and you can create something that is true to who you are um and also you know I think that having a purpose is really important as as an entrepreneur and then also as a brand, and if that gels together then that's where I think the magic happens.
0: So powerful. So powerful. You touched on uh, the amount of support that you've had in helping bring this thing to life. Every entrepreneur needs support coming from all kinds of angles. One of those angles without question is the fundraising scene. Now, raising money as a solo female founder um, is incredibly difficult, you know, and I would love for you to give as much advice as possible to all the female founders out there who are looking to raise money if they're starting this journey on their own.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was even harder than that because not only was I female solo female founder founding a business, um, I was not a techie. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a non-technical. Sports Psychologist.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I'm a sports psychologist and I've written books on on wellness and a wellness domain expert. Um but you know, I didn't have a CTO. I didn't I didn't know any of those things. So I had to come, you know, try and get over those kinds of questions and um kind of, they they were, they were definitely hurdles. And I think that, you know, I started off kind of, you know, way back behind the pack um, and had to deal with a lot of, you know, uncomfortable situations as well. But I've always been sort of very positive about, you know, this whole journey and the whole experience. And I try not to get things like that uh, get to me and I focus on the bigger picture. And one of the key things that I've always, tried to do and I still do is think about my audience. Mm. So if I'm talking to a say 35 year old man investor, who's never had a child and who doesn't have any friends who have children, if I start still talking about the nuance of pregnancy, he's going to switch off in two seconds. Yeah. Right. But he is going to be excited when he hears about market sizes, the vision, the bigger picture, the numbers, mm-hmm. the, you know, the traction that we've got. Um, so, Knowing your audience is the first thing. So you've got to understand, and then secondly, when you are talking to investors, what is what? What's going? What's their sweet spot? Are they a B two C? They're like big vision. You know, kind of um, not interested in uh, in revenue, but actually want you know everything to be um, go viral. So mm-hmm. um, everyone has their kind of sweet spot it's sometimes difficult to find out exactly what that is without meeting them face to face but if you do enough digging you can look at who they've invested in before yeah and you can kind of see a bit of a pattern and then if you look at the person that you're meeting because that's the other thing so you can think about a firm they have a number of investors and people or associates that that you might go and see but actually the person sitting in front of you at that very moment that's the person you have to To convince, and they have to be your biggest champion, and they have to go to their investment committee and sell you to the investment committee. They go to battle for you. The quicker, yeah, the quicker that you can bring them on side and give them as much information that is necessary at that time. So it's also like not too much information because then what happens is they get completely kind of confused and lose the plot of the story. So this story needs to be super simple. You need to know your audience, what, what really turns them on and then, and just give it to them like that. Well, yeah. in theory, that's what that's <laughs> <your story. laughs> sounds it sounds
0: easy. That was, that was fantastic. Um, what I think is really interesting as well is yes, you absolutely have to get them on side. You have to, have them be your champion and sell them into whoever needs to green light this decision. But the relationship with the VC doesn't stop at writing the check. You know, All of a sudden, the dynamics of you running your business has changed dramatically from you having total control over all the decisions you make and what happens. And now when you've raised a, a nice chunk of money, You have not necessarily to answer to different people, but there is a completely different structure to the way that that you're creating and pursuing the vision. I would love to understand how you've managed that shift in reality.
1: So I really struggled with that because I had my own business before baby to body. I had two businesses, one I sold when I was 25 and I only had that for two years and I exited. And then the other one was a lifestyle business was a fitness business. Mm-hmm. So I never really had anyone to kind of answer to. And then in between I worked um, at Philips, and I did have bosses at that point, but um, it, it was a different structure. Um, so I did struggle initially with that whole concept of um, being accountable mm-hmm. But, what I've tried to do, and I mean, you haven't always got it right, is to create a relationship with my investors that it's you know what I do is I think about it. If I was an investor, what would I want? I would yeah. want to know a lot of information. like what is happening with this company? So I send out way too much information. And I kind of keep in touch with them. I do monthly reports. I do quarterly, like, really long reports of everything that's going on. And down to the small things, like, you know, I send them a WhatsApp and I tell them that, you know, we were in the newspaper or if there's some publication or what the end of the month results are. Just a one-liner. And I think that that creates a, a kind of open dialogue. And then when you do need them, it's a lot easier to say, oh, by the way, can I have mm-hmm. some help now? Yeah. And it's so true because, you know, just recently with this whole um, kind of COVID crisis, what, what happened was I went to some existing investors and I said, look, I don't know how long it's gonna take us to raise money. We need X amount to get to, you know, the end of the year you know, how can we do this? And within a week and a half, I had a check in the bank, two checks yeah. in the bank, and we were okay for a year. Yeah. So, you know, because I keep them involved, it wasn't like, Oh, well, well, how are you doing? And we didn't have to have that whole conversation. So I think it definitely goes both ways. There's, you have to answer to them, but mm-hmm. you know, you can also use them. You can ask for advice. Um, and it's about building relationships at the end of the day. So they, they also want to get involved. I mean, they're, for them, it's not just like they want to write out a check and leave. Well, some do, some yeah. do. Um, but the ones, that, the ones that don't, you pretty quickly realize who they are. You yeah. know, I, I love it because I send out um, documents and I use a, a software. I can see who's opened it.
0: Yeah, so do so. I. It's like your little ninja. Oh man, I play so much games with the little ninja in my back pocket. You don't even know. I can't say it on the podcast, but as my best friend,
1: yeah, yeah. So that's pretty powerful because if they come back and ask you questions, they're like, hmm, <laughs> you haven't read any reports for the last, like, <laughs> yeah, and you're asking for this. So, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things to do, but you know, at the end of the day, they are people and understanding what, you know, what is the most important thing for them to, to feel comfortable about is, is what I do. So most of my investors want to know that we're okay, that we're coping. I mean, when... At the beginning of this whole crisis, I was sending out weekly emails, just really bullet points. This is what's happening. We're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then yeah. then it was fine. At least then they knew. They weren't thinking, oh gosh, isn't another company going to be completely obliterated by the economy? Yeah. And we were fine. So knowing that, I think, you know, and then I get support. So.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I think something you touched on there around the art of the human relationship is so important. You know, I think VCs can often be seen as these robots that just, write checks what results will burn you out or exit as soon as possible and you know these people they go home to families and friends and everything else you know and it's it they're in a situation where of course they have to protect their investment in their portfolio but they're here to see you win you know if they've rolled the dice on you they are heavily invested in in trying exactly. to help you become a success you know and i think it's about managing yeah. those relationships so that you both win you know um, uh, one, of my,
1: one of my angel investors often texts me and he lives in the States. I get text messages at all kinds of hours. Yeah. He's like, why aren't you asking me for more? <laughs> well, not for more money, but for more yeah. help. You know, he wants to be more involved mm. as well. So I think you're absolutely right. They do generally want to be involved. I mean, some are hands off. Let's, let's make yeah. no mistake. And sometimes that's okay as well. You know, Less sometimes hassle. you just need a little bit more cash. Um, yep. You've got enough people to deal with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, something you've touched on a little earlier um, that I want to cycle back to is around you being a non-technical founder. Now, we are a digital studio. We know we work with non-technical founders every day of the week. Um, I want to get an understanding of some of the advice you would give to the version of yourself that was trying to bring your MVP to life. When you're selecting your technical partner to help you bring it to life, or you're selecting the people that are going to come and build this with you, What are some of the lessons that that you would teach yourself?
1: So I think the most important thing is if somebody can share your vision. So we did work with um, a, a kind of an agency or a studio to help us bring the MVP out. And I found it a real struggle because the guy who was kind of the, the UX UI just couldn't get his head around like what we were doing. And then Mm -hmm. midway I actually switched him out and I, and I found somebody else to do that, that I had sought and, um, you know, had like interviewed and that just made the whole process go smoothly. And equally so after we first took investment, we were using um, a product manager who was helping us to, to kind of define the product And he was constantly at odds with me, but about the wrong things, Mm. you know, not in terms of what um, kinds of like features we should have and how we should prioritize them and what the development roadmap was and, you know, and what to prioritize in terms of like, you know, how are we going to monetize in line, aligning that with the business? It was more about what is the experience of these people and what are they having, which tied into the vision. Yeah, and that was just pointless. and it was just hours of wasted energy. So I think mm-hmm. finding people that really align with you and the way that you think and the way that you work is really important. Um I think that's the most important. it comes down to people again. And then also, you know, like it's really interesting because the first a prototype we had, um, was just exactly what I wanted. So I literally got onto Balsamic and I kind of wire framed it out and I was like, this is yeah. what I wanted to look like. Then that became something that just didn't happen. And we, we went completely turned a left corner and, and created something completely different because everybody was telling us that. And you know what? Now we have a version of what I'd done yeah. right in the beginning. Yeah. And I keep saying, showing my team and saying, look, this is exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> so, you know, we went and around the houses to get to where we are now. I mean, it, I, it's, I don't regret it because we learned a huge amount. And we also learned that other things didn't work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's just interesting to see that now we're back to the exactly what I had done. Right in the beginning yeah. in those ridiculous wireframes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's also about sort of understanding your vision and understanding what you are trying to create and actually believing in that and not being swayed by other people's opinions mm-hmm. unless it's, it's, it's proper, proper data. And, and really like round in sort of evidence.
0: Yeah. So, I feel like a lot of your proposition um, has been shaped by data. You were talking earlier around understanding the moment in pregnancy that women are most likely to become paying members of the of the community and the app. How much has data played a role in shaping the feature and the future roadmap of the platform?
1: I think data's, it's, um, it's like 80 to 85, to 85% probably of, um, to make our decisions. I mean, I, I, because I've been involved in this in for such a long time, I, my gut feel is quite strong about mm. what these women want. I mean, I've been training pregnant women and new mothers for, I don't know how many years, like a ridiculous amount of years, yeah. <laughs> more than two decades. So, um, so I have a lot of sort of you know, knowledge and, and feeling, but my audience is very different to how they were, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a completely different woman right now. So what I've learned to do is say, okay, this is what I think is going to work. And then look at, you know, we try, we bring something out, we AB test all the time. And then we look at the data. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I find that um, having people who haven't had children um as part of our development team and, and, you know, looking at the data and the product is better because they don't have um, their own experience coloring what they're looking at, or if they have it and they're able to kind of disassociate them, their own experience. Cause it's such a powerful experience mm. um, from looking at the data. So we use, we've got a huge amount of data, and we actually go quite deep on, on what we know about these women and then everything that we create on the back end, So new content, uh, features, um, how we talk to these women, everything is based on exactly what the data is telling us. So I think it's so powerful and I didn't, you know, obviously when I started this business, I didn't really understand what that meant and, you know, what even data was and how to get it. So <laughs> yeah. now it's a whole lot different. <clears throat> and was like, now it's gold, right? The analytics system is my best friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly all over it. If yeah. it's down, I'm like freaking out. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it's so amazing because we know at any one point in time, and a day, how many people are signing up, what those people are doing, how many taking trials. Um, and then we can act on it immediately. Yeah. So, cause we've got live data, we're going, okay, what's working is which piece of creative on Instagram is really converting brilliantly and let's put more money behind it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is actually one of my favorite parts of the business because it's just alive yeah. and and you can kind of see it working in in, in real time, which is so cool. And then you see the conversion, then you see the money in the bank. Yeah, it's
0: like a live game of chess with parties every so often. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish. (laughs) Not exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. Um, I'm fascinated to understand in this new reality that we're in with coronavirus, obviously your product um, is very wellness-based and it has a very 360 approach to creating a wellness experience for mums. How do you feel products like yours are going to be impacted by the current environment how do you feel like the value propositions that you're putting on the table have to change to maximize the value you can give in this environment
1: so i think that you know no one really knows what this post-covid world is going to be like but what we do know is it's not going to be like the world we had before and I think that it's slowly, you know, it's slowly dawning on everybody that actually this is just not a, a three month thing. And actually people's perceptions, ideas, um, the way that they do things are changing completely. Like I was on a board meeting uh, yesterday for team GB because I'm on the, on the board mm-hmm. and we had a five hour board meeting over zoom like, and they were like, Oh, yeah. this really works well. We don't <laughs> have to travel. Like yeah. let's save the money, you know, that's that kind of thing all of a sudden and you know, these these people who've never been used video conferencing before suddenly turn on to the idea and actually they're all sitting at home in their country houses and everything's working. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a new expectation about how we do things. I think that um, people's adoption of digital health and um, kind of wellness solutions that are not sort of in person will be much more acceptable. Yeah. And I think also expectations of high resolution HD video has gone out the window because now it's just like, you know, holding your phone and all sitting in front of your computer and who yeah. cares what's behind you because you know, those kinds of things, or if it's a little bit of a crackle here and there. So I think the expectation is, is is very different now about what's acceptable or not acceptable. And then I think this is going to change the way that we do in-person things. I mean, I was thinking the other day, do I really want to ever go to a gym again? Yeah. I, I just can't see it. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know how I'm going to get my head around that, which is going to change my life completely because I used to spend a lot of time in the gym. Yeah. So I've invested in like some, you know, I had quite a, a lot of equipment, anyway. that then, you know, I'm, I've got a nice space now that I'm working out and I think that's happening with our audience. So before, you know these pregnant women used to go to their midwives for and um, to ask questions they'd see their doctor every 6 or 7 weeks that's mm-hmm. not happening anymore yeah all of their appointments are being cancelled so what do they do they have to turn to something digital that can help them through that so thankfully we're there and we can offer that support so we've had to adapt a little bit as well and you know and we've going to adapt even more and bring more resources and more help for these women. We're bringing in OBGYNs, midwives, and doctors to kind of give that more medical side of support as well that we didn't really do before. But that's basically because these women need it. And Mm -hmm. post-COVID, who knows when we're going to go back? What does this new world look like? And I think we have to kind of be very creative and agile to manage and navigate the next couple of years.
0: I completely agree. And I think the platforms that have really clean established value propositions and a community in place are the ones that are in a position to completely maximize the value that they get in this new reality. Now I think a lot of new concepts are hitting people's plates and a lot of new products getting built quite quickly Um, and I think it can be difficult to penetrate a, a market that is so vast as wellness but you have major players in the space such as yourselves that are in a great position to just tweak a few things here or there and just knock this thing out of the park. I think it's so exciting. Um, okay yeah, we are it's coming amazing
1: and I'm very grateful actually that we're in this position.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know it's, it's the way the world works and you put yourself in a position to be successful and you kind of just have to figure everything else out as it as it happens. It's that's the best bit about this game really, you know, you just don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the end of this. We always end with um a couple of quick fire questions um the first one that i like is what has been the funniest moment of your career
1: so we had a um we had a few freelancers who used to do some content for us from right in the very beginning and um we had you know kind of been playing around with different tone of voice and one day um you know we moved on from one freelancer to another and um I was looking at some content. So I got my daily email, I clicked it open and there was a very explicit description of sexual of, of sex <laughs> basically in the article, which kind of wasn't what we wanted, but it had been a placeholder joke yeah, that had because okay. we, we were switching freelancers. So I had to scramble around, get on my laptop, get into the back end and try and like Rewrite it yeah. as people were clicking on and looking at it. So that was quite a moment, and I was the like, panic. "It was, it was talking about some male model or something. It was just completely bizarre." Yeah. But thankfully, I think at the time we only had about ten thousand users, so it wasn't too bad.
0: Yeah, the lucky one stumbled across it and had a chuckle. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe that got us to twenty thousand. Yeah, know. who
0: knows? Hey, listen. <laughs> Going viral isn't always the things that you hope you go viral for, but you know once you have that's engagement, so you have engagement. That's the truth. That's um, so true. Yeah. What has been the the defining moment of your career and the lesson that you've taken from it?
1: Oh, that's uh, that's quite a question. I don't think there's one defining moment, but I think you know when when I saw that um, people were signing up and we had our first like 100 paying customers mm. well I think the first thing was when I saw someone sign up that I didn't recognize their name yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my all my mates to sign up yeah first. yeah
0: you get everybody get the, the first... dog to sign I like, up I don't care
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh my god there's actually a person who loves this product who's signing up and then we got to the first hundred and then the first thousand and then when we got to the first 1000 paying customers yeah. i turned around and i said to my team if i can get one mm-hmm. i can get a million if i can get 1000 i can get a million people yeah it's just now a numbers game yeah right it's just a matter of kind of mm-hmm. amplifying what we're doing understanding them more and just working doubly hard to get there and yeah and we we have not a million paying customers but you know we've got thousands and we're yeah. definitely, definitely getting there so I think that was one of the realizations that, um, you know, even though the number might be small, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very significant sort of, um, validation point mm-hmm. that you're onto the right track.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, okay. So the last question is all about your end game. Do you have an end game? Oh yeah. It involves beaches, <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> beaches and a spicy papaya cocktail. We have the same one. <laughs>
1: no, I don't know. I mean, I, I get asked this all the time. And in fact, we, we have been a, approached for, um, you know, by a couple of acquirers recently. So we're mm. having conversations. It's not something that I think is imminent, but it's definitely part of the plan. And I think for baby to body to live on and become You know, kind of, I want it in, you know, every single woman's hand in the world who's got a smartphone or even, you know, everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So I really want everybody to have access to it. Um, There's only so much that we're going to be able to do as a small team. But, you know, I'm hoping that we'll find a home um, within a bigger company that can help us achieve that. And I mean, we've got other ambitions, like the bigger vision is to create a wellness platform. So we we're bringing out the conception products to trying mm-hmm. to conceive in a couple of weeks time, which nice. is super exciting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's a huge market of mm-hmm. women wanting to know what to do, you know, before they conceive yeah. and, and how to maximize that's very cool. their really health cool. and wellness. Mm-hmm. So that's coming out in a couple of weeks and we're testing that at the moment. And then... The the next plan is to bring out the post-reproductive. So looking at, you know, the post-reproductive years, so mm-hmm. after you finish having your babies, yeah. what does that mean for women? And we're going to be extending the platform so we can stay with our users right through. I mean, we'll yeah. give it a new name and we'll kind mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. make the, the product a little bit more kind of relevant for that audience. But sure. uh, that's the bigger plan. And then hopefully we'll find a home with a much bigger company, and, um, and then I can go on to um, support entrepreneurs and, and give back. Exciting. And, yeah. Maybe create some new p- new businesses or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'll be
0: tired by then. I don't know. It's, um, no, it's just a different game you're of you're chess.
1: An, yeah, exactly. You're an entrepreneur or you're not an entrepreneur. I think I'm definitely a zero entrepreneur.
0: Exactly. Well, look, we're very grateful that you've taken this time to give back to our community. It's been an absolute joy, Melinda. Thank you so much for coming on Peace Black.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Appreciate it.